in our previous episode, we gave an overview of the idea of teaching a pattern. And uh, today we want to take it to the next level and look at how we can teach a progressive pattern. Hello and welcome again to another episode in our teaching series that we've titled A Band of Disciples, A Band of Disciples. And this whole series is playing on the music metaphor uh, to suggest that Christians are just like musicians. They see a vision of the future of themselves and they find out ways to live that out. That becomes their doing. And they practice that type of living in, until such a time where they experience uh, incompetency or a problem. And they go to learn and find out how to overcome this practical problem in order to become the certain type of person that they have in mind. Uh, so our discipling journey is much like a coordinator of a music band. We're helping people become a certain type of people in the world. Jesus-like people who are guided by an image of their future. They project an image of themselves in the future, a future self that motivates their daily activities. And when they encounter a problem in those activities, any sense of incompetence, they try to figure out, they are motivated intrinsically to overcome uh, that practical problem by learning, by reading, by asking others, by interacting with the community and figuring out how they could live out the image that they embrace, which is obviously the image of Jesus that we were created to bear because He is the embodiment of the image of God that we were created uh, to bear. Uh, we have spoken so far uh, about the discipling calling and the role of a discipler. We uh, uh, indicated that the role of the discipler uh, can be summarized into three uh, um, main uh, concepts, modeling a possibility, uh, teaching a pattern, and engaging in partnerships. And in our previous episode, we gave an overview of the idea of teaching a pattern. And uh, today we want to take it to the next level and look at how we can teach a progressive pattern, a progressive pattern. Uh, you probably are aware already of experiences, learning experiences that you've had where you've been part of a classroom or a, or a lecture or even a workshop in your own workplace. And you probably noticed that there are two diverse ways people take in their uh, teaching repertoire. On the one extreme, uh, people consider teaching as a transmission of information. In the educational sector, we call that teacher-centered learning, teacher-centered learning, where, where, where teaching is all about an expert that empties their expertise or empties the cup in yours. And you are an empty vessel 
who is absorbing all this uh, wisdom and expertise. And as a result of that, your knowledge uh, basically enable you to live a certain type of life. Uh, this is uh, this trans transmission oriented uh, uh, teaching uh, has proven uh, throughout the educational uh, research uh, that it, it doesn't actually make a significant difference in the way people see uh, themselves and embody a particular way of living. Uh, so we even uh, are told in some research that people only remember 20% of what they heard 72 hours uh, later. Uh, that's not a great deal of uh, of influence over our, uh, our, our memory, let alone over our action. Uh, so uh, the first thing that we do in, in learning or even in church dynamics, where we become uh, disseminators of information, just like a preacher that stands up the front and shares uh, the learning that uh, the preparation that they've had over the, the, the previous week or so. And you're, a, you're a, a passive learner sitting in a pew and taking it all in. Some people don't even take notes and you wonder, what did they get out of this? Uh, other uh, environments such as small group environments where the facilitator, the Bible study facilitator is the, the, the expert uh, that shares information and knowledge with others who are a uh, passive recipient of this wisdom. Uh, this is one extreme uh, uh, concept of teaching uh, that we see and observe in real life. There is the other extreme where people say, you know what, learning is not that structured. Uh, discipleship is not about a curriculum. Uh, let's let go of all of that. I, I remember meeting with a particular pastor once and um, he was asking me about what, you know, what type of um, you know, approach we have for our discipling uh, groups. And I was sharing with him some of our Bible uh, study uh, material. And he said to me, I don't believe discipleship needs a curriculum. And I understood that because he's probably uh, was familiar with this structured approach of, uh, you know, information dissemination. But he went to the other extreme and said, no, we don't need any curriculum. Uh, we call that learner-centered approach to teaching and learning, where we just basically engage with students or with learners or with disciples based on their experiences, interests, and concerns. So we 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 know of discipling uh, models and frameworks where people join together in small groups and share their experiences, and potentially they go around the learning circle uh, that uh, David. Um, a club mentioned in the experiential learning uh, uh, theory, uh, and and they just share experiences and and they share ideas and they share insights, but still a very close circle uh, of learning. There is no external uh, input from the Word of God because they so fearful of the idea of curriculum. So we've got on a, a, a opposing uh, ends of the spectrum the structured. And organic, and we 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 are not suggesting that either of those particular uh, approaches wrong in itself. Is that if we're going to uh, build a personhood, we're going to build a certain type of person, a certain kind of 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 individual who is 
part of the body of Christ, we need potentially a balanced approach where we we need the word of God to be taught and to reveal who the person is. And then their experiences and reflection is put in the context of a lived life that is pursuing an image, a particular desire, a particular ambition of being like Jesus in the world. Uh, So we're going to uh, suggest that Jesus had some uh, helpful balanced principles for teaching. Uh, You know, he deployed uh, three primary uh, strategies, active, cooperative, and reflective learning. He promoted active, collaborative, and reflective learning. Uh, Jesus uh, helped people discover for themselves God's truth. And we can do the same thing. You know, Jesus did it through parables where he would share a, you know, a, a fiction story or he would pick on a particular living experience, use that to communicate uh, spiritual uh, truth. Uh, Jesus helped people to get into a story and to discover for themselves, to negotiate, to navigate uh, their understanding of the reality of God's word uh, that is uh, is giving to them in a parable or in a story uh, or, or in question and answer. But he helped them discover for themselves. He didn't just uh, preach at them in a way where they just become an empty vessel receiving the wisdom. Indeed, he preached. There was the Sermon on the Mount repeated maybe several times. But there were other experiences where Jesus helped his disciple uh, through asking them questions or putting them in a situation or getting them to reflect on a particular story. And they were discovering uh, the truth of God uh, based on their experiences and engaging uh, with God's word. And uh, the, the second thing that Jesus helped his disciple, uh, disciples to, to learn the second strategy is collaboratively. We mentioned that all the time, that Jesus brought the 12 to be together. That's the best experience and uh, learning experience uh, for his disciples to learn from one another as they engage with Jesus and and they engage uh, with his teaching. So we too need to create environments as facilitators, as disciples, where people discover God's truth collaboratively. They share their ideas. They listen to one another's insights. They engage with the word. They share, you know, this is uh, my experiences of this particular passage. Uh, This is uh, what I heard about it previously. Uh, This is, you know, they could read a particular, um, you know, commentary. They could listen to someone teaching on it. And they collaborate together in piecing all the connecting all the dots so they can build and construct a really clear understanding of what God is saying to them collectively. An individualistic approach to learning God's word and God's truth and 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 walking with God as an individual that could uh, derail people. You could believe things in such a way because you think it's the right way. Maybe you even believe it's the only way, and you're only able to uh, reconsider your position once you're challenged by some other people's perceptions, ideas, and obviously you go back to the uh, you know the norming of the word 
of God and uh, and the biblical uh, understanding of what it means to be a Jesus-like disciple. Uh, then the third thing that we understand from Jesus's uh, strategy for teaching is learning through reflection. Uh, so people need to uh, discover God's truth reflectively. You know, they need to uh, think about their experiences. They need to uh, reflect on their assumptions. They need to share, uh, you know, what they think about what's happening. And they need to also figure out how God's word, how God's principles, how God value, uh, God's values apply to uh, their lives. So they reflect after their experiences in order to gain an understanding of how to reflect in the midst of their experiences. So we become reflective practitioners, people who have practical wisdom. So Jesus didn't, um, you know, develop zombies uh, or machines or robots. He wanted individuals who would discover God's truth they engage with God's word. They engage with God's word collaboratively with other people who are like-minded, but they also reflect on their experiences, learn from their experiences and prior knowledge. They learn onto their actions and allow the word of God and the input of others to impact that as well. And we would like to be disciples who facilitate communities uh, that facilitate active, cooperative, and reflective learning. And in our next series, when we address discipling community, I will share with you precisely how we run our communities of disciplers uh, with these three strategies uh, in mind. But today, for the time we have left, I would like to answer the question, what is the role of a discipler? What is the role of a discipler in teaching a progressive pattern? We've spoken about modeling a possibility. So now we want to see what do I do as a discipler who are called to disciple others into Jesus' likeness? What's my role in teaching a progressive pattern? I want to bring to your attention a couple of scriptures that show that our teaching must be tailored to the stage of development where the people that are entrusted to our care are at. And I want to start with the book of Hebrews chapter 5, starting from verse 11. This is what it says. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. The first thing you notice here that the, the writer of Hebrews distinguishes between infants and the mature, immature and mature people. Uh, I would imagine uh, he's mentioning this uh, because there is a tailor-made approach to each segment. So he says to them, you should be mature by now. 
which means he's talking about their spiritual uh, life, not just as a as as um, you know biological maturity. Because he's saying you should be teachers, like you should be so mature that you are responsible for others and helping others. You should be teaching a progressive pattern yourself. But the reality is, you're like an infant. You need the elementary truth of God's word. That means you need a, a different sort of diet. He's saying, I can't give you the solid food that should be yours because you should be mature. I need to give you milk uh, that is reserved for the spiritual young, the infants. So as a discipler, our number one priority is to tailor-make our teaching to the needs and the uh, spiritual phase of the person so as to not overwhelm them uh, and as, as well as to not bore them. We need to be uh, mindful of a tailor-made, dividing the word of truth rightly for their current uh, experiences and spiritual maturity. I want to also bring you uh, to another passage that helps us see that as followers of Jesus, as disciples, we go through stages like plant development, like human development, there are phases of spiritual development. It's probably not spelled out for us as, you know, spiritual phase uh, 01, a spiritual phase 02, spiritual phase 03, and this is what you do. No, but at least we understand from the New Testament teaching uh, that there are various phases of development that requires patience, requires progression, and requires careful care on behalf of these people, not to care for them in such a way that we take the responsibility away, but care for them in such a way we empower them to take the responsibility. Uh, the Apostle John, in his letter, which, uh, you know, commentators uh, illustrated, it's, it's like a sermon, it's a growth sermon. He's assuring uh, the Christians probably, uh, you know, that were under his care in Asia Minor, uh, that, um, uh, that, that they are genuine followers of Jesus and he's giving them some examples that would help them not fall uh, in discouragement because of the teachings of false teachers at the time, uh, some sort of Gnostic type of teaching. Uh, and he's saying to them, there are some sort of signs uh, that help you understand that you're a true believer, a true child of God. And he gives them those tests throughout the, his first letter. But then he comes um, to a, a juncture in chapter 2 where he gives a little poem that reveals his understanding of the progressive development of the disciples. And he says to them this, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. He goes on to say, I write to you dear children because you know the father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. You have probably observed that uh, the Apostle John addresses three types of people. Dear children, young men or young people, 
and fathers or parents. Granted, this may mean, uh, you know, people uh, biologically on various uh, phases of development, children, people in between, and then older people. That might be the case. Or it could refer to, as some of the translation uh, of the uh, Bible uh, suggests, refers to spiritual levels of maturity. The new believers, the people that have been there for a while, and those who are mature. In whichever case, the reality is, uh, John is using uh, spiritual uh, concepts and, uh, and, and deploying metaphors of, uh, of progressive development, whether that's biological or spiritual, just like plant development was used by Jesus as a metaphor of our spiritual development. John here is using, just like in the book of Hebrews and just like in the first book of Corinthians chapter 3, the New Testament writers use human uh, development metaphor to speak of spiritual development. And, and, and here, the first dear children in, in the passage refers to all God's children, uh, every believer. But then the second dear children uh, speaks of a specific group of people, either the young uh, biologically or young in the faith. And then the young men or young people speaks of a, a, a transition period in between young and mature. And then the fathers or parents refers to the mature. It's important to note that maturity in a biblical sense it speaks of reproduction. You have spiritual children and you're responsible for them. You are selfless in the way you're living your life. So as a result of that, uh, we believe there are three phases of spiritual development. Being a child, after being born, obviously, but to grow is being a child, being young, and being a parent. And uh, we have created a little uh, framework, a landscape of spiritual development that helps us to navigate uh, through these various stages. Uh, every uh, one of those uh, phases is described in what we call a discipleship cross. The discipleship cross is simply a graphic uh, a, a, a diagram that helps us to conceptualize spiritual development in four main areas. Relationship with God, inner life, relationship with believers, and influence in our world. And uh, the reality is those four categories, not only things we need to do, but they are qualities and attributes and capacities that have already been deposited in us when we were united to Christ. So we just need to live them out. And we have attempted to describe every level of spiritual development based on the identity and the indicators that come with this identity. This is not meant to be prescriptive. This is just helpful to stimulate our understanding. It's an overview map to help us know how to navigate the spiritual landscape. And I bring your attention now to what we call part two, which is standing firm. A standing firm is the child stage. If receiving Christ is, uh, is the infant stage, then standing firm is the child of God stage. We develop our identity as loved children of God. We embrace the reality that we'll love children of God. Love children of God 
have indicators that reveal their true identity on the inside. They have worship habits. That means they connect with God. They have integrity habits. That means they are very careful to honor God when nobody's looking. They have family habits. If God is our dad, heavenly dad, then other believers are my family members. And then they have witnessing habits. If God is my father, then I'm so proud of him. I want to tell everybody about him through my life and through my words. So that becomes a, 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 a map for people who have started to walk with Jesus. We say to them, uh, the scripture uh, reveals your true identity as a loved child of God, and God is your real and ideal father. And we help them over time to embrace the indicators and to invest in those indicators to be able to live out who they really are on the inside, a loved child of God. The second phase, we uh, look at the identity and the calling of being an imitator of Jesus. That every disciple is an imitator of Jesus. That's their life calling. So their identity, a loved child, their calling uh, aspect of their identity, their vocation is being an imitator of Jesus. And that has its own indicators. If I'm imitating Jesus, then I'm going to have intimacy with the Father, just like he had intimacy with the Father, joyful intimacy. Jesus was humble and said to his disciples, learn from me because I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Uh, Jesus treated other believers as friends. He says, I'm no longer going to call you strangers or slaves. I'm going to call you friends. And Jesus asked his disciples uh, to, um, um, uh, you know, disciple others to have fruit, much fruit and lasting fruit. He said, that's what a disciple is in John 15. And so how do we have much fruit and lasting fruit? By replanting, and therefore we invest in other people and see them uh, develop. And finally, uh, the last phase of development is uh, revolving around the identity of being a selfless parent, a father, a mother, a spiritual parent. And if I am selfless, being filled by the Holy Spirit, that means surrender to His control, I am consumed by the glory of God, not by my own glory. I'm living in self-control, in purity and perseverance. I'm not living for my own pleasures and I'm not collapsing under the weight of pressures. I'm self-controlled. If I am surrendered to the Spirit more consistently, more fully, I'm also living in oneness with other believers. I see them as part of the body of Jesus. I'm not an individualistic person seeking my self-actualization. I'm seeking the maturity and the health and the growth of the whole body. And finally, I'm multiplying disciples. I'm no longer living uh, just for my own ministry legacy. I'm empowering people. I'm believing in people. I'm helping people multiply and reach their full potential in God. So this particular um, landscape enables you as a discipler to do three quick things to help people. Number one is to help people to discover where they're at 
in their spiritual face? Are they seeing themselves as a child loved by God? Are they seeing their calling as imitators of Jesus? Are they seeing themselves as selfless parents? They navigate the map of the spiritual development so they know what's their next zone of development. What can they do next? Uh, what is God invested in them and how can they live that out in reality? The second thing, uh, it, it, to, to, after helping them discover uh, where they at, you help them evaluate what can they do to uh, collaborate with the Spirit. So they say, okay, maybe they have a problem in terms of uh, pride. Uh, they they all of a sudden living an arrogant lifestyle. And instead of you hammering them about that, you say, hey, uh, let's evaluate what's actually happening deeply that making you interact in this way and lead them to recognize the root cause, evaluate that maybe the idea of being an imitator is not their all-consuming uh, calling in life. So they evaluate and they set goals in this way, which takes us to the second, the third concept that you can help uh, your uh, disciples with. Help them set goals and plan to collaborate with God in these areas. Okay, so you discover that the, that the main cause and the main difficulty here is that you're not seeing yourself as a loved child of God. Okay, what can we do about that? How can we help you embrace that? What type of scriptures do you need to meditate on? What type of practices uh, do you need to embrace? What type of community that you need to share with? Who's going to support you and keep you accountable? So it becomes a very uh, helpful tool to go from one uh, uh, glory level of glory to the next as 2 Corinthians 3 18 tells us. We are on a progress to go from glory to glory, aided by the Spirit of God, supported by the people of God, lifted up in prayer so that breakthrough may come. This is not something that educationally can be done by mere humans. The Holy Spirit enables us to embrace uh, the process of transformation, but we need to play our part. Your calling as a discipler, not only to model the Jesus uh, life, the possibility, but you are also called to help people with a map to navigate. You can't uh, uh, go there on their behalf but you can help them navigate the bigger view so that they can go through the intricate details of the road and enjoy it because they know where they are and where they want to go. It is a heart's prayer that you feel encouraged and empowered to, to, to teach a progressive pattern to help the people that have been entrusted to your care to go from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Thank you so much for watching. In our next session, we're going to look at our role as help uh, engaging in authentic partnerships with our people. May God bless you. Until we see you next time, be utterly blessed. <music>